Welcome to another week of the Adam Schefter Podcast, brought to you this week from Phoenix, Arizona, and the NFL Owners Meetings, where we will be joined by my friend and colleague, Field Yates, as well as the New York Jets head coach, Adam Gase, who's had a busy offseason, and the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, Brandon Bean. So there's a real AFC East theme here, and I will say I've been coming to the NFL Owners Meetings for almost 30 years now, usually getting in on a Sunday. And I never remember a single Sunday in which there was a bombshell dropped the way that there was at this year's NFL owners meetings when Rob Gronkowski took to Instagram to announce he was retiring from the NFL. So we turn now to my friend, my colleague, Field Yates. And Field, the news came out Sunday afternoon from Gronk, walked away from the game. What was your reaction? So, Adam, there is a surprise because something of this nature and the gravity of the situation, of course it's going to be a bit of a surprise, whether he walked away at the age of 29 or the age of 35 after a 16-year career. But we know that Gronk has been weighing retirement seriously since last off season. He had to announce his intentions he was going to play for the 2018 year. He came back, of course, and although it was not a typical Gronk season, you think about the postseason. What a high note for Gronk to yeah. go out on. Perhaps the best player on the field in overtime of the AFC Championship game in the Super Bowl made the catch of the game six inches away from setting them up for Sony Michelle scoring a touchdown. A very fitting way for Gronk to ride off into the sunset and be so at the top of his game. And he goes out like John Elway, like yep. Jerome Bettis, like Michael Strahan. He will always be remembered as a Super Bowl champion who won his last NFL game in the biggest way possible as a meaningful contributor. And there were times when he did look like he was slowing down, when he was slowed by those injuries. He turns 30 years old on May 14th. So he walks away from the game at a time that Jason Witten is back in the game and Tom Brady outlasts Rob Gronkowski, even though Tom Brady's 42 years old. Brady, we keep hearing 45 is the number he wants to target. I'll believe it. Like, talk to him when he's 50 and he's still playing. And let me, let me say this to you. I think these are the types of things that chip away at how long he will play because you can't continue to lose these targets. Every He loved playing with Gronk. This was sure. his, this was his bodyguard. Yeah. This was his target in the red zone. He's got Julian Edelman. But Gronk was somebody they really relied on. So now you lose Gronk. You lose Brandon Cooks. You lose Danny Playoffs, Danny Amendola. lose a lot of people. These are not guys that are easy to replace. They are not easy to replace. And if you look at the Patriots' top pass catchers right now, it's Julian Edelman going into next year amongst wide receivers and tight ends. Running backs are obviously a huge part of the Patriots' passing game. But right now, the Patriots' top pass catchers, at least on paper, include Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, Matt Lacoste. Guys like Bruce Ellington and Maurice Harris are now in the mix at wide receiver. Don't get it twisted. The Patriots have a lot of draft picks, and you know this, Adam. They become a team to watch right now over the next month. And Gronk retires, and Dwayne Allen was released. That's right. So there's another tight end that they let go of. Now, we have seen this team, this New England team, draft tight ends in the first round of the draft before. They yep. did it with Benjamin Watson. Yep. Daniel Graham as well. They did it well. with Daniel Graham. So they've done it twice, whereas many teams have not drafted tight ends in the first round. New England actually has done it twice in recent history, and it would not be a surprise if, once again, armed with 12 draft picks, if the Patriots made an aggressive play up in the draft, if they drafted a tight end high up in the draft, yep. if they drafted 
multiple tight ends in this draft. Nothing would surprise me. So get to know some of these names. Now, maybe they're not available pick 32, but Iowa's got two separate tight ends that are terrific players. TJ Hawkinson, who wore the, as our friend Jim Nagy called it, the ugliest number for a top prospect at tight end, 39, 38 in college, excuse me, and his teammate Noah Fant, who I remember at one time telling someone was the closest I had seen athletically to Rob Gronkowski at a college tight end, Irv Smith. From Alabama. Alabama. You know Bill Belichick has a strong relationship and a pipeline there with Nick Saban. There are tight ends that are available in this year's class that could fit the bill for the Patriots. And would you be surprised if the Patriots, even though they have other needs, went tight end, tight end? Nothing, when they drafted Rob Gronkowski in the second round, they went Aaron Hernandez in the fourth round. They, they double did. tight ends. Double tight end was a theme for them then. It would not be a surprise for me if nine years later it's a theme for them again. And the I just they now have, and I know that Gronk is the story today. Gronk was an, an unbelievable player for them. They now have about $18 million, a little bit less than $18 million in salary cap space, Adam. Not that you want to see Gronk walk away for the Patriots, but his retirement means about an extra $11.8 million in cap the space. The problem is who are you going to go spend it on? But, the, but who is the Patriots? The Patriots are as crafty and yes, resourceful as anybody. So well, I think they're just become a team to watch over the next month. How do they wheel and deal? And if I could, just indulge me for a moment with Gronk and thinking back to when I when he came when he came out in 2010. I wanted to ask you about that. So I was in Kansas City working in the Chiefs uh, scouting department then and, and many people are uh, maybe maybe familiar with each team gets to bring in 30 prospects for visits prior to the draft. You bring them into facility, there's no working out. It is medical and it is meeting coaches and staffers. Gronk was a very difficult player to evaluate. He had a serious Serious back injury. Which is why he fell the second round, and he did he didn't play his last year in college. Arizona declared, uh, but the good of Gronk in college was not good. It was great. It was tremendous. Now it was not a great program at the time, but you know there were obviously Nick Foles and others have been players in the NFL for a long time since then. But we had Gronk in for a pre-draft visit to Kansas City. We were picking six, uh, so we were, we, we had our, our fifth. Excuse me. We had not that Gronk was being in consideration for the fifth pick, but we knew Gronk was on the radar. Filled fill the need for us. Medically, is a tough evaluation, but his visit—I remember the just the that the the joy that he brought. He's just one of those. He had this contagious, infectious personality. Every single one of our coaches was, loved the kid, loved him. And also, the biggest hands anybody had ever shook. I mean, he had bear claws. They were like, you know, we and a lot of NFL coaches, you know, are former players, and even they are like, who is this behemoth? He is unbelievable. I believe you said to me that when you worked. With the Chiefs, that that was the most memorable draft visit that you had. Say so him and that the two guys that stood out, and one of them we ended up drafting was Eric Berry, who I remember, and I was responsible for driving Eric Berry, sort of the the chauffeur for him for that visit. And you do that for Matthew Berry now? And I do it for Matthew Berry. Something about berries, <laughs> but I said, I kind like part of me is like Eric Berry. I'm like this guy could be he could be the face of any business that he wanted to be. He had that kind of moxie to him. Yeah. And Gronk was this player that it was when he left. Like, how can you not root for this guy wherever he goes? If he stays healthy, he has a chance to be special. And that was the, the risk that New England was willing to take, and it was one of the great calculated risks that Bill Belichick has ever made. And Bill Belichick has a long track record of tremendous maneuvers on his resume. And it was a great career for Rob Gronkowski. We know that the Patriots will miss him. When you look back in history at what he done, let history show some of the most impressive numbers that will earn him a spot in Canton. He turns 30, as we mentioned, on May 14th, but his 79 receiving touchdowns are the third most in NFL history before age 30. He scored 80 touchdowns, the most in Patriots history, which is hard to imagine. He's the third all-time leading receiver for touchdowns by a tight end and tied for second all-time 
in postseason NFL history in touchdowns. I think it's possible, Adam, and maybe I'm overstating the impact because I'm being a prisoner at the moment, but I think it's possible that Gronk made us view the tight end position in a different way than maybe we had viewed it for quite some time. And here's what I mean by that is there were tremendous tight ends. Tony Gonzalez, like you mentioned, Shannon Sharp, some of the great players that have Antonio Gates. and But they, they, what they were known for was being receivers that were just unbelievably gifted athletically while also at six foot four and 240 pounds. Gronk, if you had put, if you had reversed the order of his numbers, it would be 78, and he could have played offensive tackle, and you wouldn't have been that surprised by it. The way that he blocked, unbelievable blocker, the way that he caught the football, and his highlights, we'll have to go back and dig through some of them. He dragged players, like, I remember there was a play, I want to say it was against the Jets, where a player, like literally, Gronk's, like, pants were being ripped down like almost like you know he's about to moon the audience and he's running in for a touchdown. Gronk and the Gronk spike and the dominance of Gronk, I think, appealed to a lot of uh, NFL fans. And I, I don't know that this is there's there's a huge list of NFL players, but I think there are there's a list of NFL players that regardless of which team you rooted for at your core on Sundays, you just enjoyed watching them play. Brett Favre was always a player that came to mind for me. I loved watching Brett Favre play, even though I grew up in Massachusetts and he played. His longest streak, of course, in Green Bay. Gronk was one of those guys that whether you like the Patriots, whether you loathe the Patriots, you enjoyed watching Gronk play the game. There was a certain joy that he brought and certainly a certain spirit about him that I think a lot of fans related to. Right, thanks for joining us, Field. Really appreciate it. And that background noise you hear, for those who don't know, we are at the owners' meetings in Arizona speaking outside. Lots of people. We hope everybody enjoys it. So we're here at the owners' meetings with the new head coach of the New York Jets, and welcome to the owners' meetings. It must be interesting to get the news when you get to the owners' meetings that a tight end who you're very familiar with has decided to retire from the game. What was your reaction when you heard that Rob Gronkowski retired? Yeah, we were actually we we're in meetings, like kind of like our competition committee meetings, and you know, I had a couple of people text me. I don't, I don't, I'll believe it. You know, when we walk out there and he's not out there. You still I mean, don't believe it? I don't, I mean, I know he, I think he released a statement, but I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I've seen so many of the guys go back and forth. I mean, I just know he's, he's a, he's a great player and, you know, if, if he's not there, I know that's, that's going to be a, a transition for them, but, you know, for us defending him, it's, it's, it's always been a challenge. What was it like having to worry about that guy when you would go up against him in the division? Yeah, it was always a matchup issue. You know, you always had to decide. You put a corner on him. You put two guys on him. You put a safety on him. He just caused all kinds of problems and opened up a lot of things for them, whether it be other wide receivers, run game. You know, he he's a he's a tough guy to go against one-on-one. I can tell you, I think he is retired. I mean, I think he's had enough. That statement was pretty convincing. Robert Kraft. Did you report that? Statement. Is that why you're saying that? You're trying to make sure that you're right? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. I'm just telling you. He was very convincing in his statement, and Robert Kraft came out and thanked him, and Bill Belichick came out and thanked him. And I guess guys could change their mind later on. But the word was that was what he was doing. You know, he was trying to sell the idea of his retirement into a show, and he had been shopping that in recent weeks. People didn't know that. Uh, so that's is that breaking news right here? <laughs> You're getting information fresh off the press right there, Adam. Oh, uh, I mean, if, if if he's done, he's been a great player his entire career. He's, you know, anybody that's ever gone against him, I mean, he's so well respected in our league, and you know, I'm, I'm sure that that'll be a tough loss for him. 
but those guys have done a good job of, of finding ways to use the guys they have and, and make it tough for everybody else. So how has it gone for you so far with the Jets? What's been your assessment of how it's gone compared to what you expected? I think really it's just, for me, it's get the, get the lay of the land, you know, working with some different people, putting a staff together. You know, it, it, it takes a minute to kind of get everything to where it feels normal. I think it'll, it'll probably feel more normal for me when we get players in the building. You know, we're still, April 8th is the first day we can have anybody in. Um, you really, you can't do anything right now. A lot of guys aren't up there either. You know, I mean, a lot of guys are training, you know, in Arizona, Florida, California. So you don't, you don't see as many guys up there in, in the off season. And once we get going and kind of getting, you know, offense, defense, special teams rolling in our meetings and those guys working out, it'll probably feel, you know, exactly how it always feels when it comes to this time of the year. That has to be hard though for a head coach who's anxious to implement his program and get to know his personnel that you can't even get started till April 8th, which is a little bit earlier than the other coaches, but still later than you'd like, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, anytime you, when you start over, you'd, you'd love the first day you walk in the building, you'd love to start being able to talk to guys and, and figure out, you know, who can do what and all, all those type of things. But no, this is just kind of, this is what it is. You know, this is what the CBA, you know, when they p- implemented the new CBA, this is what it became. And, you know, really everybody had to adjust and quickly and figure out what was the best way to do things. And, and that's, you know, we're, this is the second time that I, I've gotten to go through this with a lot of the same guys. So at least we have a good blueprint of how, how we go about it. And, you know, we'll kind of see how this spring goes. Jets have been very busy this offseason, added a number of high-profile free agents. Like your assessment of where they might fit in on a few of them. Le'Veon Bell, what is he going to bring to the Jets? Well, I mean, we're talking about one of the, if not the best running back or one of the you know top running backs that, you know, I've been playing here for the last few years. And really for us, it's going to be, I, I think it's well documented, a lot of the, the things that he's able to do. And it's really going to be how how we can make sure that he keeps doing those type of things. And, you know, we have a good feel from watching film. But when you get, you know, when you get a player live and you start practicing, then it just becomes, you know, the reassurance. And then to make sure that he feels comfortable with what what we're trying to do with them and and then being able to talk to them when we get to that time of what do you like to do what don't you like to do you you try to emphasize the strengths of what he does schematically and he can do so much which is you know it's rare to see a guy that can do as well as he does in the passing game and then his his running style is you know different than a lot of guys that you see he's very patient and lets things develop and, and when he does that's you you see the holes open up and then him creating explosive plays and he's a big man and he's tough to bring down and I you know I'm excited when we get when we get to get going of seeing what we can create and seeing kind of where this offense goes I don't think I've ever seen a more patient runner than him a uh, guy that just is more deliberate at the line at picking his hole ever he he does a he does a great job I mean he sets things up very well you know he, if, if you do have any kind of mistake and there's free runners or, or somebody gets a hand out there, he runs through that. So he's such a strong runner. So, you know, he can he can cover up some some weaknesses that you may have at times, and, and that's what great players do. Jamison Crowder, what does he bring? I think he he fits in what we need. We feel like we, we got a guy that can fill that slot role for us. But at the same time, you know, I don't want to put him in a box. We want to try to do as many things as possible with him and, and – and really try to use his strengths again to, to his advantage and then keep trying to develop things that he wants to work on. 
You know who loved Jamison Crowder? Kirk Cousins loved Jamison Crowder. That's what I heard. Yeah, what he, I, heard. I remember talking to Kirk Cousins one time, and he said to me, the two guys that we're going to feature on this team this year, it was a few years back before he left Washington, were Jordan Reed and Jamison Crowder. Loved Jamison Crowder. Trusted him. Yeah, they had some they had some good years together. And, and you know, us studying tape on him, we, we were excited, you know, of the opportunity to be able to talk to him and, and see what how free agency would work out with him. And, you know, we're excited that we that he came to play for us and really it's going to be about you know the development of him and Sam together and see what kind of chemistry we can create with that. Last guy I want to ask you about is CJ Mosley and what he'll bring to the Jets defense. Yeah, I think you're looking at a guy that's, you know, he's he's a, he's a culture builder. You know, he's one of those guys that you've you put in that locker room and and things change. And not only is he a great player on the field, he does everything right off the field in the locker room. You know, in the building, in the meeting rooms, you know, I've heard nothing but great things about him since the time he's entered the league. You know, he he just brings what you want from a, a you know, a, a Mike linebacker, a guy that's going to run the defense. And I think, you know, Greg Williams is, is really excited to get going with him because he knows that this guy can do all the things that Greg looks to do with the linebacker, especially his position to where, you know, adjustments can be made and, and Greg's got – somebody that he's going to be able to communicate with and make sure that that defense is really rolling. And, you know, it's exciting for us because we feel like we've added some pieces to what we already had and re-signed a lot of our own guys as well. And, you know, now we still have the draft and, pre, you know, training camp, preseason. We have a long ways to go. But, you know, for us, it's things are moving in the right direction. And before I let you go, I want to ask you about Greg Williams because you're an intense guy. He's an intense guy. A lot of people have wondered how that would work out. How's it gone so far? Well, you know, knowing I've known Greg since 2009, you know, when he was at New Orleans, and we've, we've had a lot of discussions over the years where the opportunities really haven't come through to where we were trying to hook up and, and kind of be on the same staff. And I'm excited for practice because I feel like it's going to it'll get lively at practice, which will be good because both of us talk a lot and we're, we're competitors and we've coached against each other quite a bit. And, you know, we've both had our – couple games where we've won and lost and i think it's going to be exciting i think it'll be good for the players to kind of see how competitive we are and then they'll carry over they'll follow our lead and and every day that's way that's how you get better in this league if you you practice hard and you go out and everybody's trying to execute and and you know win that play that's that's how we're going to get better for sunday hey adam thanks for the time today i appreciate thanks it. a lot that was new york jets head coach adam gase from one AFC East member to another, now Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. Brandon, you know, this could have been your chair and your <laughs> mic if you had opted for a different career path. Yeah. You're aware of that, correct? Yeah, although I probably I don't have the skills you have, so I, I think you'd have still uh, won that position. <laughs> no, how close did you actually come to becoming a sports reporter for the Sports Business Journal? You know, um, I had the opportunity. It was more of a, a writing position. Um than you know i guess reporting so to speak but uh you know it was it was a full-time job and uh i thought long and hard it had benefits um but an internship with the panthers i'm just like out of sight out of mind if i walk out of this building uh somebody else is going to be there when the spot opens and uh i was glad i, I made five dollars and 15 cents an hour for six months to get that job so those are the choices right to become a reporter for the sports business journal at thirty thousand dollars a year yep or to take an internship with the carolina panthers for five five fifteen five fifteen five dollars and fifteen cents an hour and where did you get the desire to become a sports reporter from like how real was that 
Well, um, honestly, I was just trying to get into sports anyway, whether it was writing about it, reporting about it. Um, I didn't have a link, you know, no family or anything like that. And so um, I was just trying to find a path in and figure out. Also, it was I was young. I was trying to figure out, is this something I really wanted to do? And, you know, I did the four-week internship in PR with Bruce Spate and uh, Charlie Dayton, uh, some legends there across the league. But uh, uh, I... I was able to see what football operations look like and talk to people and personnel and said, you know what, if anything opens up, I'd love to do that. So what happened was I, I did a four-week deal for training camp. I was home for about a week and a half and interviewing for this job, and then uh, the Panthers called back and said, hey, the football ops intern for the year left. I don't know what the reasoning was. We need a guy to help in player development and football ops for the year. So I was helping the equipment guys, helping on the, you know, practice, helping player engagement, and then football ops picking guys up at the airport, uh, again for five fifteen an hour instead of taking the $30,000 job. I was going to say, how does one go from making $5.15 an hour to becoming an NFL general manager? What is the key there? Uh, perseverance, um, a lot of luck. Uh, to be candid and just, you know, right place, right time, you know, as things evolved in the Panthers history, um, you know, Marty Herney was, was a big influence on me and, and helped. He's the one that gave me a lot of independence. And the more I was able to show him that I could handle, the more he gave, he, he totally let me do things on my own and do them my way. He showed me ways he did it, but he never stood over my shoulder and said, this is the way it's always got to be done. He was open to new ways and he just, he let me hang around and, and see how he did things and, you know, whether it was talking to agents or doing his salary cap board on magnets. I mean, back before you had all the digital stuff. So, um, it was fun. It was a grunt job, but it, it allowed me to learn so many different facets of the job. And, and you know what? Back in the day, Marty Herney was a sports writer before he became a general manager too. <laughs> it's funny the connections there. Uh, he, he was, he made it much further in the, in the journalism world than I did since I was, mine was four weeks, but, uh, it, it is truly funny how that worked. So if you were sitting in my chair today, holding this microphone today here at the owners' meetings in Phoenix, Arizona. What would be the question that you would ask Brandon Bean yourself about the Bills offseason? Um, probably say you say you like to build in the draft, yet you spent a decent amount of money. Uh, what were you thinking? <laughs> and the answer to that would be? Uh, the answer is uh, we knew we had a lot of holes. And uh, with, with 10 picks, we can fill needs, but uh, – at the end of the day, we couldn't fill enough needs of starter-type positions, and we felt like we got some starters, and then we got some guys that are going to compete to start, some guys that a Feliciano, um, a Ty Nasecki, guys that have started some. And the great thing about those two guys is position flex. You know, Feliciano's played guard and center, and Nasecki's played both tackles and guards. So uh, we thought those were two guys that are hungry for the opportunity, have position flex, and have our DNA. They play with an edge. What about Frank Gore? How does Frank Gore come to arrive in Buffalo? You know, um, Frank's a guy, uh, I told our local media this, probably you, you don't find yourself, if you're in this long enough, you're not necessarily a fan anymore. Um, you know, it's the, it's the business side of it. But I've truly always been a fan of Frank Gore. And so uh maybe it look back and and if things don't work out for some reason they'll say Bean was too much of a fan of Frank he shouldn't have signed him he was 35 years old but um I saw a guy on tape that if you did not know his age and you just watch this guy play that plays hard he plays with an edge 
he brings an energy. He plays with such a passion, and I, I still feel he's got something left. I don't see a guy that fell off the cliff. You know, he had the foot injury at the end of the year, and he's you know he's still not hundred percent, but he, he's on on the way back. You're not alone in that thinking, is that right? Well, he's got a trainer down in Florida, Pete Bomarito, who every year at the beginning of the year tells me Frank Gore is prime for a big year, and there are very few people that take care of themselves the way that Frank Gore does. And if you look back at this and all the great running backs that have come out of the University of Miami, you never would have thought that between Edrin James and Clinton Portis and Frank Gore, that Frank Gore would have the longest, most productive career of some incredible backs that have come out of there. And there's no way that you do that unless you are completely dedicated to your craft and a complete total pro. And I can tell just from the couple of weeks of talking to him, he's called me like twice. He's he's sent me a text already. Like I'm I'm so hungry, I'm so ready. He's got this edge. Like I want to prove you right. And because uh, we we talked about it when he came in, and I said, hey, people probably think I'm an idiot for signing you know a guy as old as you at running back. But we laughed about it. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw an image after he signed his contract. He grabbed his helmet and put it on walking down the hall, and it was just. There was an energy in the building that day, and he definitely was a big big reason for it. You also made some moves at wide receiver. John Brown, Cole Beasley, what will they bring to the Buffalo offense? Well, first of all, they'll bring experience. You know, we had a younger crew of guys last year. It's just where we were in the, in the build. Um, but Beasley, uh, even though they're, they're both small, um, John Brown will bring a vertical threat for us, and then Beasley will work the middle. So two guys that have experience that – uh, will be dependable. You know, Cole, that's the thing I always noticed about him on tape is he runs his route so precise. And I thought of the slot guys that were available, he was the guy that was the quickest um, immediate separator, you know, at the top of his route, hmm. especially on those inside option routes. The guys don't know if he's going, you know, inside or out. And, and so I think he'll be a guy for Josh that Josh can always know if things break down, I know where Cole's going to be. If he's, if the routes call for him to run six yards and then he'll be right where he's supposed to be. And, and that's a lost art. Some guys don't run their route depth to, you know, especially as young players. And I think that happened a little bit to Josh last year. And then, you know, John Brown, we, we were in on John a year ago before he signed with Baltimore. Um, but the thing his, he and his agent had told us was he was looking for a prove it deal and our quarterback situation was unsettled. And so he decided to go to Baltimore to play with Flacco. So it made sense. Sound reasoning. We were, you know, we hadn't even had the draft yet. So um, it's funny how it works out a year later uh, to get John. What will John Brown add to your offense? You know, he'll definitely add the vertical threat for us. You know, we had Robert Foster last year, but uh, you can't add too much speed. And, you know, a guy that defenses will have to be aware of getting deep because our guy can make that throw even if it's 60, 70 yards downfield. Um, Josh can plant and fire it. And so I think, you know, it's exciting to add another guy like like a Robert Foster, a smaller version, to to be that vertical threat and open up the middle for Cole, Tyler Croft, and you know anybody else that works underneath. We're talking about wide receivers, and obviously one of those storylines that set in motion the chain of events that led to Cole Beasley and led to John Brown was Antonio Brown not winding up in Buffalo. When you look back on that now, mm-hmm. what do you take from that experience, and what do you think of everything that transpired there? Yeah, first off, you know, everything happens for a reason. And so um, Sean and I are always going to look for ways. If we see a guy that's a talented player 
Uh, we're always going to look into it and see the particulars of why the player's up for trade, um, how he would fit schematically, how he would fit culture-wise. And so, um, obviously, the talent is there. You know, he's uh, you know, he, he's one of the top receivers in the league, and obviously that was a, an area of need for us. So we looked into it. Um, at the end of the day, uh, it wasn't the right fit with all the parameters that we needed to meet compensation-wise, pick-wise. And so uh, we looked into it, but uh, it didn't happen, and, and we're glad with where we're at. And the deal didn't get close. No, no, no. I mean, at the end of the day, when you to do a deal like this, you have to agree to terms with a team, and then – you also have to agree with the agent on what the compensation is going to be. Are they coming at that package or are they expecting a new deal, which he ultimately got? So, you know, we were never able to close it knowing that I wasn't comfortable with the full package of things. You brought up Josh Allen. How would you assess where he's at going into his second year? Brandon? Um, you know, Josh improved during the year. He did some, some really good things. Obviously, I think people nationally probably saw – you know, his athletic ability stand out, you know, especially if you had not watched him in college. But um, he had the injury, which was unfortunate, but may have been a blessing in disguise also because he got to sit back and watch, um, you know, Derek Anderson, Matt Barkley. And, you know, I think when he came back, he had a renewed sense uh, of what it meant to play quarterback, how to lead walkthroughs. That was one of the things Derek Anderson showed him right away was, you know, throw the ball exactly to the receiver at the same speed you're going to throw it in the game, even though it's a walkthrough, just so he sees how it's coming out of your your hand and the pace that it's going to be at. And just leading, you know, all sorts of, you know, the huddle and the call and the checks and the audibles, just all those intricacies that go beyond, you know, the pre-snap stuff that it takes to play quarterback. Um, you know, I think the thing that we saw some improvement late was decision-making. You know, people get on to Josh about his accuracy. Uh, I would argue that it's decision-making. And when I say that, it's Josh taking the check down, taking the underneath crosser instead of trying to fit the ball in, you know, 18 to 22 yards down the sideline in a hole shot that many quarterbacks don't try to make because they don't have the arm strength. So, you know, you saw guys that have had the strong cannons that can make those throws do it, and we want Josh to do it at the right time, but sometimes it's okay just to check the ball down and let the receiver or the tight end, whoever, you know, add some yards, get it to second and short or second and medium instead of an incomplete, you know, or an interception. Do you think the day will come in this division? Can you imagine the day when Tom Brady's not playing quarterback and, and the division will be in a different state than it's been in for the past two decades almost? Well, has anybody told him that you can't get to the Hall of Fame until you retire, that they won't let you do that? So, uh, you know, I'm, I think somebody should call him and educate him and say, listen, it's five years from when you retire, and so you might want to start doing that. You want to be able to have your kids at home and, and all that good stuff. You don't want them to be on, so – uh, but no, in all seriousness, uh, Tom is a heck of a player and, uh, he's the gold standard as is coach Belichick. And, um, I knew when I took this job that this, that was going to be a tough task. And, um, uh, but we're trying to build something here that can, you know, can overtake them at some point. We're obviously not there yet. Um, but we hope to, to find ourselves competing with them and, and eventually, you know, taking over the AFC East. And a way to begin to compete with them again will be the draft next month. Yeah. What would you say, in a general sense, going in, the Buffalo Bills are looking to accomplish in next month's draft? Well, we're just looking to add, honestly, very good football players, and that was the key to free agency. You know, we we did add a lot of pieces. I hope I don't have to sign that many guys going forward. 
but it takes time. There's only you can only have that draft once a year, and you only got so many picks. So um, adding another you know draft class here of guys that are good players, um, we don't have a major hole that we could roll the ball out now right now and start a game and, and play um are there some positions that are a little weaker than others yes but the main thing was not going in the draft with a glaring hole that you got to take this exposition in the first couple of rounds or you're you know you're really going to be you know you know in a tough spot see that's a great day you could have been a sports reporter but now you get to run the war room and <laughs> do the draft and i can't imagine there'd be anything better than getting to do that any year no, nah, it's, it's a lot of fun. It truly is. Uh, it, it's in the personnel world, it's our Super Bowl and, uh, our guys, I, I look at it as our whole group of scouts coming together and getting it. We call it our board. It's not my board. You know, it's our board and everybody has a voice. And, uh, as long as we get it right for the Bills, uh, everything will be good. Brandon, good luck with your board and the upcoming draft. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks, Adam. There's the Buffalo Bills general manager, Brandon Bean. Special thanks to Brandon Bean. Special thanks to the New York Jets head coach, Adam Gase. And special thanks to my friend and colleague, Field Yates, for breaking down the retirement of Rob Gronkowski. And special thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll bring you some other interviews from this week's owners' meetings with other head coaches and general managers. Some surprises ahead. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week.